Since their formation in Tampa, Florida nine years ago, the members of Under Oath have made significant inroads in both the country's hardcore and contemporary Christian music scene. Anyone versed in the tenets of these cultures knows that, frankly, this is a thankless task. Historically speaking, a significant amount of Christian rock music has been remarkably tepid, as if anything remotely aggressive sounding somehow demeans one's dedication to their faith. Likewise, the hardcore punk scene has its own implied rulebook as to how bands and participants should conduct themselves, regarding everything from the sound of the music to how bands dare to make money. After all these years, nobody's told the scene police that vans don't run on dirt. They're only chasing safety under Earth's 2004 release on the respected Christian label Tooth & Nail, transcended the Christian secular divide, galvanizing a dedicated audience who appreciated pop melodies as much as they did the band's punishing riffage. The success of that disc had many major label executives following them around with lucrative contract offers, yet the band chose to continue their relationship with Tooth & Nail. The follow-up disc, 2006's Define the Great Line, is a blistering display of post-hardcore crunch, atmospheric intention, and soul-searching lyrics, delivered with the kind of passion that's sorely lacking in a lot of today's music makers. Despite the artistic success the band achieved with Lime, psychic stress fractures were forming within their ranks, leading them to forego their stint on that summer's Vans Warped Tour so they could reevaluate their goals and friendships. The members of Under Oath, guitarists Tim McTague and James Smith, bassist Grant Brandell, singer Spencer Chamberlain, synthesizer electronics op Chris Dudley, and drummer vocalist Aaron Gillespie joined AP at Cleveland's Lava Room Recording Studio to discuss everything from Christian hardcore culture, their interpersonal relationships, harpy mothers of fans growing up and possibly out of contemporary punk, and how their journey began with a white Chevy Corsica. I'm Jason Pettigrew, filling in for Mike Shack. For the sake of everybody at radio, I would like everybody to tell me their names, but not all at once. Starting with you, sir. I'm James. I'm on mic number one. <laughs> Tim. Mic two. Spencer. Grant. Aaron. Chris. Mic six. Very nice. Uh, very, very nice. Four. I matter. <laughs> everybody matters here. What are you talking about? you got to stop this self-entitlement thing, dude. Come on. It's not, it's not nice. <laughs> and I walked away from the microphone. John's going to yell at me. The thing about Under Oath is Under Oath is fabulous. You guys have worked hard. You've paid dues. You've, you know, you've actually gave more. I think you, in a lot of aspects, you give a lot more to certain aspects of your career and your personal life more than a lot of other bands do because a lot of them phone in. But the thing that I don't really know just personally is that how did you – it sounds like Rock Journalism 101 question, but essentially what were the whole seeds of the whole thing? Can anybody step up and tell me who was you – know, how did the whole thing get together at first? Do you want to take this or me? Uh, I can it? start and you can finish. Okay, you go. So I guess 99, 98, uh, my mom got a phone call from a church friend that their son's band needed a drummer. And so they called my mom to talk to me. I was 14. And uh, they picked me up two days later in a white Corsica. <laughs> and... Uh, drove me to Ocala, Florida, which is, like, we live in central Florida. Ocala is, like, two hours north of where we live in Tampa, and it's a horse town. Like, it's nothing, there's nothing there but horse farms. And, and John Travolta. And John Travolta has one of those plain runway houses there. Oh, okay. <laughs> a hangar. A hangar, if you will. But anyways, uh, we went and practiced, and uh, they told me I could be in the band, and I'll let Chris finish. Um... <laughs> 
Yeah. And then from that point, there was uh, there was one EP put out um, when, I don't know, what, what was that, 99? 99, yeah. Yeah, EP called Act of Depression. Come yeah, out. that came out. And then um, about eight months or so later, um, uh, I got asked if I wanted to join and play keyboard pretty much uh yeah <laughs> it's it's that's harsh it's 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 a very long it's and such not a interesting long story because we've had because since we started when we were so young like there's been so many member changes just from like you know people growing up and wanting to do other things and you know people growing apart and musical differences and et cetera et cetera so it's a very long story we usually condense it into about three sentences <laughs> okay I think what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that where there are certain bands, where there are local bands, where there are, you talk about getting an invite from somebody's parents to join yeah, yeah, the yeah. band. What I mean, what were you listening to? Were you all rocking? Like I didn't know who's anything. that guy. My dad, my dad on Friday nights would get kind of drunk and show <laughs> me like all his records, like Beatles and Chicago and stuff. I can't even remember, but um, I grew up like in church, like just playing drums in the church band from the age seven. Okay. So I that's I I guess that's how uh, Luke was the guy's name got a hold of my parents because his mom saw me playing drums in church one Sunday morning or something. But like, kids got skills. Yeah. So it was <laughs> totally totally bizarre, and I didn't really I didn't really like understand how vast like the music scene was and how much there was to offer until I was 15 years old and had met these dudes in this band and they showed me all this stuff. I didn't understand it at all. Yeah, because like w- w- I think when all of us got into this band like we never really um thought that it would turn into anything like it has like it you know it was just like you know we wanted to play music and you know we felt like that this is you know what we were supposed to do and then it's just kind of grown into this like humongous thing and we're just kind of like a lot i think a lot of times you just kind of step back and we're like wow that's really weird that <laughs> it's gotten this far i think i was just kind of i was kind of looking for like certain shared experiences or you know bands that you were all into whether as you know whether it was I don't know Def Leppard or if it was some sort of you know contemporary Christian thing or I mean whatever whatever type of things that you were that you were into were there, was there any type of I mean was there any type of bonding over like oh you're into that hey I'm into that or something like that were there gigs that you went to was there a certain type of like you know a cultural aspect to what you were doing there I, was a show that a guy from our hometown used to put on called Eight is Enough and he'd rent out like the oh 500 yeah. cap room and he'd have everyone played amber lynn's old band would play and under oath played a few times but like growing up like all of us weren't in the band but i remember like all of us going to those local shows and seeing bands like nevertheless and like bands like zayo and spitfire and like all these bands kind of brought like you look and you have like the smashing pumpkins and metallica and nirvana and you know like this is rock music but then seeing it on such a small scale made it so much more accessible i think and we all were kind of like okay, like, you don't have to be on a major label, you don't have to be anything to, like, play music, and so I think, like, the local scene definitely, like, bred that, like, natural, like, accessibility for all of us to play music, and like Chris said, like, we never thought it would be like this, though. Because that's the whole thing with, like, either underground rock, hardcore, indie, whatever you want to do, is that you don't have that, wow, that untouchable idol type hey wait a second that guy's just like me because the state you know sometimes there's not a stage yeah it's flat you know basement shows just all that stuff you don't have that that sense of you're watching a gig it's like it's a big party and it's a celebration of culture that you know yeah. all that that type of wall is down there's not yeah. that that thing happening I, yeah i remember the first show like that that i went to it was a band called sleeping by the riverside and a band called yeti 
And uh, <laughs> it was it was yeah. crazy because like at at the time like I was so young and I didn't really I, like Tim said like I didn't really get it, and I saw these dudes up on stage and like they didn't have any like they weren't wearing like costumes or anything they were just dudes that like came from work and they were playing like this brutal music and I was just like it was something that I'd never seen before and I was just like wow that's that's really weird and they yeah. lugged their own gear they didn't have a light technician yeah it was just a bunch of dudes like just hanging wearing cargo shorts and playing metal and it was kind of the weird thing to me was a scene we we used to all like be in this circle like he was saying the ages enough shows and like the St. Pete Tampa area and and we all we played this place called the Refuge all the time which was a essentially it was a homeless shelter but it was like a a ministry based organization that and this guy Bruce put on shows for for everybody and anybody like eight nights a week you know it was just constant it never it never it <laughs> never eight nights a week it never stopped dude like it was awesome shows so, he looks so, like the comic book guy off the Simpsons yeah <laughs> exactly. exactly longest show. Exactly. So we played, we played constantly in this place, and there was, you know, I was always down there, you know, like getting my mom to give me rides. But I remember, like, when bands started, like, a friend of mine brought me his band's demo. He's like, "Yeah, it's way more poppy." I'm like, "Huh?" Because we were all playing just exclusively hardcore music then, and he started talking about how like they were going to add singing to the band. I can't remember who it was, but there, and it was so it was so weird to me, and that's where I think things really started to shift like in my head with Under Oath and like with what music was doing because people started to sing and mix it with their <coughs> hardcore music. And I was like, huh? I didn't understand the fact that you could like cross-genreize yourself like that. Yeah. It, was, it was really weird for me to, to see like, and it, I was so impressed by it, you know, and it's, it's weird to watch how everything that we do now is the same thing that everyone was doing then. It was just so underground then and no one paid attention. You know, was it a case? Did you feel like it was an isolated thing? Did I've, you feel like it was totally isolated that it wasn't happening in, like, I know they were from Greensburg, Pennsylvania, my hometown, yeah. and I don't remember anybody writing me back when I was in Cleveland saying, "Dude, Christian hardcore is blowing up in Greensburg, Pennsylvania." You know yeah. what I mean? It's I think that did you every, feel like these things ha- happen like in isolated pockets and like, hey, what's, yeah, I th- yeah, I think that everyone <clears throat> thinks that it was their town that it was happening in like because you know each town <laughs> no, it had was my town <laughs> <laughs> we put it on the map <laughs> but yeah like I, I think that just because you and you know when when we were all getting into it we were so young like we never went other places so we didn't get that there was you know music scenes in other cities like that it was just like oh yeah. it's me and my friends and we're the same thing was happening in my town i'm from north carolina so okay. it was I, I first I first realized <coughs> that we went on a tour before Chris was even the band. We did eight shows up the East Coast, and we it was with that Sleeping Brother Riverside band he was talking about. And uh, we went and played like we played somewhere in PA, um, Birmingham, Alabama. I can't remember where else, but I remember there being we played in South Carolina somewhere in a VFW hall, and I can remember there being you know fifty or sixty people there every day and being like. Whoa, so this is really like not just <laughs> in Tampa, Florida. Sure. It was really cool. But Tampa made music, though. It definitely <laughs> did. Let's just set the record straight by saying that That's our truth. circle were way bigger and way better than everyone else's circle. <laughs> <laughs> Joking. JK yeah. Enter. B- bygones. By- Italicize. You know, yeah. Laughs. Band smiles. Just saying. Nudge, nudge. I'm just sure. saying. Just saying. Yo, just saying. Just saying. <laughs> Tampa owns it. Just what saying. What is up? Just saying. <laughs> Tampa in a house. The um, so it, it's interesting. So the band, the early, I mean, square one. We're calling it under oath. 
How many people were in that version? Aaron. Just me. <laughs> just okay. Me. Just me. Then I put out a p- newspaper ad, and I'm just kidding. Yeah, just me. <laughs> the reason why I'm asking is there's six guys in the band, and you've got I'm not a mathematician. I don't even play one on TV. But that's a lot of individual relationships. There's a collective relationships. And that has got something to do, obviously, more that has to do with writing. That's, you know, cre- the creative aspect and just the social aspect and, and everything. How do, you, how do you keep maintain that? Because, essentially, I know people that can't stay married for two years. Or, you know, and yet, you, essentially, because being in a band is like a marriage in that there's, there's a lot of these relationships at various different levels. And, mm-hmm. you know, the more folks involved, the more dynamics are involved. And I'm kind of wondering how you guys have survived that sort of thing. Barely. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the member changes that we've had, whether it was dudes leaving or us asking people to leave, were products of, like, that dysfunction that you talk about, you know? And, like we've just kind of learned the hard way. And uh, everyone that sits here today is no better or worse than like anyone we've ever had in the band. It's just, I think if anyone that, you know, left for differences like six years ago when everyone was 18 instead of 24, like they wouldn't have left now, you know? Like we're all, like Dallas, our old singer always talks about like, he's like under oath is like this entity. And like, I mean, obviously we're, based off of like Christian principles and he always said like just straight up he's like God has this plan for under oath and like under oath isn't Spencer or Tim or Grant or Chris or anyone like under oath is this thing and if people you know do things that don't work within that and like people leave like that doesn't change the fact that under oath is this thing and like I think we all don't really look at it as like this is like my band or our band or like we did this. It's like it's literally a list of 20 people that have paved the way for us six dudes and we just happen to be on the tail end of it and we're the people that people see in magazines. But there's a whole list of people, um, parents, families, and past members that have like made this who it is and I think like, you know, it's kind of a dishonor and like an injustice for us to like, say at least for me i mean aaron obviously differently but like for any of us to be like yeah like we built this is like not really the case i don't think you know and it's not something that we particularly love talking about i don't think it's anything that press really likes talking about because it's not like the hot story but there is a lot to be said about the first four years when under oath never left the alabama state line you know because that's what made this possible you know so it is a pretty deep, thick thing. Probably take like five hours to really get into it. It's cool to talk about like the families and stuff though, because everyone, everyone's families really did pitch in. You know, all the older dudes, and then like I was so, I don't this, I want this. I don't know. This sounds weird. I was so indifferent in the beginning. Like I was so young, you know. Sure. Like, and I didn't care. Like I just wanted to play drums. I didn't care. Like I didn't understand that like you could be in a band that was popular. Like the idea of that to me was so bizarre like you know we would they would they would talk about going and playing this christian festival called cornerstone which is like the this, other big the, this huge christian festival i was like whatever we're never going to do that I'm like what do i mean and i didn't care you know like and even up until i was probably up until i was like 18 17 18 years old i did not care about what under oath did you know i know that sounds horrible but i just wanted to play music like i those guys had such a vision so i i don't even think it was even passed on to even me or any of these other guys until 
Tim came in and I was like, oh, we can write music that really interests me, you know, because I was just, I was so young, I was just doing what they told me to do. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't understand, like, so I think until I was like eight, probably late in my 17th year, 18, I didn't really understand that, like, this was going to be something different and it was going to become my life, you know? So. Let me let me give ask you to give some practical advice to anybody who's in a band might be listening here. Uh, how essentially do you keep things together because there are six of you? I mean, uh, the band. I don't think the band would sound the way they do as a three piece. But then it's kind of like, oh, you know, there's six of us. Maybe we should add a maybe we should add a guy on zither. Maybe we should add a <laughs> guy on glockenspiel. Maybe you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's kind of was you know as as things expand as the line have expanded to where it is today do you think that there's something that i mean you're essentially in service to the music you're going to do what's you know best for the music too do you have any suggestions to anybody who who may be in a band that's got a bunch of members or maybe thinking of getting another guitarist or something like that where you know that whole relationship thing and the amount of cooks in the kitchen cliche and all that stuff is there some is there some amount of uh, advice that you could give people that might be up against this type of thing. I mean, assuming like you're five dudes in a band and everyone's equal, that means that like you're gonna be happy on one out of every five tours, and you do five tours a year. So once a year, you're happy. You know, <laughs> um, one out of five songs, you're actually gonna get your way. It's and like truth. that doesn't necessarily always happen because there are the dudes that write or the tours that just make sense that everyone just kind of does or whatever. But like. I mean, I know, like, sometimes, like, I think everyone in this band, some more than others, I'm sure, probably felt like, man, like, I'm not part of this or I'm not part of that. And it's, like, it's a weird thing, but, like, we literally, you know, divide 100 by 6, it's, like, what, 15%? So all of us, technically our lot is, like, we get our way 15% of the time. And that's a really uh, weird thing, you know, to, like, actually balance if your <coughs> band is, like, everyone gets their own say and everyone like you know like if one dude hates a song like it doesn't go on the record five dudes could love a song and like if one dude absolutely with the exception of three four for james but <laughs> that happened once i hate that song but, too but yeah but like usually like when we're writing if one dude like hates it and it's not like very last minute or it's something that's necessary like it's just like well okay you know one dude absolutely says i do not want to do this tour like we don't do the tour and so you kind of have to like look at it like that, and like by bringing more people in, you're actually giving up more of like you're not giving up, but you're sharing the creative control of the band with people, and that's really important to to make that conscious decision by adding these people. I want to give up this because like dudes in solo projects do whatever they want, and it's their show, and like they run everything, and that's like not necessarily the way that a band works, you know? Sure. Yeah. So I think it's important to think about that. Yeah, I, th I think it's also. Um, you know, because I've got asked this question before, and like it's it's weird because you think I like you know we know some bands where it's like there's like a totem pole where it's like this dude has the final say and then this guy and then this guy and it goes like that. So it's like I guess it it also all depends on how you run your band because like you know Tim said we're you know we for ninety nine percent of stuff like we all need to agree on it in order for something to happen. But then again, you have some bands where it's like oh. Well, this dude said that that's what we need to do, so it doesn't matter what I say. That's what's going to happen, you know? So it, it runs a gambit de just depending on how you run things, you know? So it's, it, can, it can be weird. Because um, 
on a similar note, getting back to the uh, the, mar- the the band as marriage, but then in real life, in your personal lives, some of you are either already married or engaged or something like that. And I'm, another thing is that because of the nature of bands, in, in, in the nature of downloading culture where you know, a lot of people aren't selling records anymore because they're nicking them off the, off the <coughs> web, a lot of bands make their money by going out on the road. How do you reconcile that relation, your personal relationships, with the demands of what the road tells you to do? You must have some really, really understanding partners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Grant are partners. Cur- currently, uh, <laughs> yeah, but for just about all of us, our the band was around before our relationships yeah. were. So all our significant others have ever known is the life that we've lived up until now. And like this year, it was like the first first year where for us we didn't tour as much and we were home, and it was really weird. That was like a whole new aspect to the relationship, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, just good communication, constant contact, and then uh, having them come out and visit every once in a while, you're able to. And a sweet cell phone plan. Yeah, <laughs> pretty yeah, much it. I would imagine. I chat. <laughs> I chat. Those. I chat. We chat. You chat. The um. What's what's going on here? I'm losing control. Order. Order. <laughs> Sorry. The I just, um, I just want to get back, just uh, briefly back to back to the early days, kind of to the early days. I just want to know what you guys all essentially bonded over musically. I mean, was there something? Was there some band? Were there like three bands where you would constantly? I don't think it was until we were like eighteen years old. We, I mean, is there? I mean, I can I. Zayo and Hope's Yeah, Zayo and Hope's Faller are two bands that everyone listened to. Yeah, at one point. And we got older and at the drive, and I think we all liked that band a lot. Yeah, but but in the beginning, I I we could say Hope's Fall and Zayo, right? Everyone was into them. I never listened to Zayo. Oh, okay. It was well, I, everyone's different. <laughs> yeah, it definitely wasn't like a common. I think one thing about Tampa that it was, was kind of cool, Elvis, and stuff. was like the from what I've ever seen, like there was a really cool like actual like underground Christian local scene, which was weird because it was like. There was punk bands, hardcore bands, metal bands, ska bands that all ska. played together. I mean, there was it was weird. Yeah, it still worked though. Like, uh, remember true. OAM? Kind of like our tour now. Like every time I die in their horn section. Yeah, no, I'm just like seriously. That was so weird. Like, there would be dudes and bands that would be completely opposite, but have that same like common bond, and it and it would work for shows. Like kids would come out, and it would be cool. I remember playing a show, like a local show at this church. And I had like this horrendous <laughs> rock band back then. I f- it was called the Raging of Creation. And anyways, I yes, under- Ooh, that under- looks that looks good on a drumhead. I'll bet. Yeah, Under Oath was playing that show as well, so I was <laughs> playing. And Tim, Tim let me borrow his amp that night. I don't know why in the hell I remember this, but Tim let me borrow his amp that night. And it was a Mesa Boogie, and he goes, yeah, you know. and I didn't know anything about guitar amps. Like I just started playing guitar and writing songs, and he was like, yeah. He goes, you push this switch. If you want it to sound like, like Hope's Fall. And he goes, if you want the, the diodes, you push it the other way so it sounds like Dennis and Mars. <laughs> and that's just, it's a perfect example because those were like total like regional, our area bands. But I knew exactly what he was saying at 17 years old like about these local bands. And the amp would sound like there local band There was no band overdrive. A. There was Dennis and Mars. Yeah, there local band no A if you push this it way. And local Zayo. band B if you push this way. You like, had the Zayo channel. The Zayo channel. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I think we should flip to some Zayo right now. What do you guys suggest? 
Oh, Grant, give us check six. What is it? Ravage Ritual? Is that it? No. Blood and Fire? Yeah, yeah, Ravage Ritual. Blood yeah. and Fire. Okay, Come that's on. great. Is that what it's called? That's a great Definitely scene. what it's Pretty called. Sure. Okay. Fully endorsed by Under Oath. This is Zayo from my hometown, Greensburg, Pennsylvania. They're more famous than I am. I remember the first war. The way the sky burned. The faces of angels destroyed. I saw a third of heaven's legion vanished, and the creation of hell. I stood with my brothers and watched the Questions for Rock Journalism 101 with Under Oath, but they're such fascinating guys, so I have to ask the questions to get the filth on them. Rock Journalism question 101, number two. Define, define the great line. Oh, See, Spencer. now, now, now the, pr the problem with this is that there's actually no, no problem with it. It's just that I, you talk to certain people. I, I talk to all sorts of people, what I do for a living. But a lot of people will uh, say, well, you know that's about... Actually, I talked to insert band contact in here, and he says that. So, point blank, define the great line. Several theories that have been that have, I have come across. 
in the in the history of the record. The first the first one I've heard is it is uh, it is kind of like a dare to under oath and their position within the contemporary Christian rock marketplace. <laughs> 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 Strike one. Strike one. Strike one. Try again. Okay. So it's not about it's not about are we talking it's about, not about it's not are about we about talking about what the title means or the actual album? Um, let's start with the title. Okay, go ahead. Because everybody get, who's listening to this knows the album's great. Look, I wouldn't be here if the album wasn't great. Other than that, you might as well be plus forty-four. You know what I mean? If that would but Zango. Let's get let's get uh just let's get guest number two. My, my my podcast, I can talk crap on anybody. I want. <laughs> so it's okay. Mark Hoppus, sorry about that, dude. Um, <laughs> Is it uh, define the great line having to do making a commentary on essentially this crazy punk rock slash hardcore scene that you are a part of? Nope. No, it's not that. I'm surrounded by so many liars. Not today, but you know, in what I do in my forty hours. Who are these? Who are these coming from? These are coming from anybody from. I'm a friend of the band. As well as people at record labels and all that stuff. As well as you know, fans who claim they. Know, know everything there is. We've uh, answered the third this question one, like a million times. Yeah. Yeah. You think people would know by now? The third one. The third one is um, define the great line having to do with the personal travails of each member. No, nope. that's not a specific thing. That's more of a. That's more of a. a that's the thing closest everybody one. That's everybody closest. everybody has. Everybody has a story. Inaccurate. You know what I mean? Tim Armstrong always always says that it's not up to him to be the punk police because he knows he's punk. And uh, it's not up to him to make judgment on anybody saying that, you know, you're not punk. As long as you are doing something that's honest and that's right for you, that's okay. You're not punk. So, but I'm not punk. But there's nobody, punk. nobody in this room is punk. Look at me, dude. Come on. Tim Armstrong's kind of reggae, Fat, 40 he? and back. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> he, he raps so, now. He's like Tim Armstrong's reggae artist, isn't he? He like rap? So, kind of. Yeah. Kind of raps? Kind of. So Hip-hop. Define the Great Line is about what? Spencer, take this one. Spencer. The title <laughs> being... The path of your life and figuring out where you're heading and where you're going. And the whole point of the title was, so now you know where you want to go and where you're heading. And you have this line, or I kind of like pictured it as like a kind of like a balance beam. Because you, you fall off and you turn around, you go backwards. But you always know where you want to go and where you need to go. So it's all about defining that line of your life. The trajectory of what your life is going to be and yeah. what's going to happen and how. Well, I feel like everyone, I mean, whether you're Christian or non or whatever you are, everyone wants to be a better person. Everyone wants to, you know, be better at this and, you know, be nicer and more loving. And I just feel that everyone has a path. So. Okay, so. point blank. What essentially is do the six members of Under Oath have a <laughs> shared path? Or is it something that is it something that's intensely private? I think it's like fifty fifty. I mean I think, I think everyone's heading for the same forty five myself. Fifty seven forty three. I think we're all heading to the point seven six. I can't do math. repeating of course. So yeah. nine repeating decimal. Yeah. Like we're all heading the same direction. It, it, I mean we all get there different ways. Yeah, some dude might yeah. take this road, some guy might kinda go, ooh, you know what I mean? Like but we're all heading in the same direction, I would think. Am I assuming that you're the person who titled the record? Yeah. Okay. One point for the host. <laughs> as far as... No, because I, I brought up all those other things because they do... They're not... Whereas you've discounted all of them, they all kind of make perfect sense. Like, uh, as far as the relationship of the band and, you know, contemporary Christian 
circles, whereas uh, we've heard a lot of people, you know, you know, oh, they can't be, they don't, they're not, you know, they don't sound like Amy Grant or Steve Taylor or, you know what I mean? It seems like you can't make aggressive music and still have a great, solid faith. And it, it seems like these things are kind of, you know, there must be some sort of disconnect in these things. I, I think that uh, the success of something like Cornerstone has changed that significantly, but there's still, uh, I, I understand that there's still some backlash in a lot of circles well, because of what the band does. And you know, I don't. I don't think you really need to be. I don't really think you need to be uh, have a shared faith, or, or or any type of connection to understand. I mean, what a powerful, ripping record, you know, line is. And I think, and, and the other aspect I wanted to bring up is the fact that I was talking to somebody who will remain nameless, and they said that the under or the under oath record was their favorite record last year because they believed in something. And you don't need to be Christian to really be involved in the fact that these guys stand for something. They're passionate. They're not this type of, oh, because everybody in the scene is so ironic and they roll their eyes and everything's an inside joke. Under Oath puts it out on the line and they stand for something and you just have to admire that passion whereas most of the bands in this scene, they're just churning it out. Hey, it's better than working at the you know Home Depot. Yep. You know, nail, you know hey. selling nails. We talk about that all the time. Like you, yeah. talk, you talk to kids on a weekly, daily almost basis. Like what you know, you, they ask you, they're like, why do you sound this way? Or why are, why are things in your band this way? And, and why isn't it that way for me? And, and what do you think about this? And I think people, I talk to so many people that are like, yeah, I play in a band because that's what I do. And I'm like, why do you do that? Well, I, I or do because that. I like being in a band. Yeah, I like being in a band. The idea of I love the, being I, in a band. Like I was talking about before how like the dude started, and back in the days I was talking about things being poppy. And I, I don't think that was a musical tone. I think they started talking about how music was becoming... So, Underground music is something so accepted, and now like you can anybody has a band and everybody has a band just to be in the band. But when you when you find that rare band, I'm not saying that you know we're something special. But when you find that rare band where people are really doing something that they mean, that they feel, if it's a I don't care if it's a Christian band, a Buddhist band, a satanic band, they're really doing it because they mean it. I think that's when it has that thing, you know, that glimmer to it. You're like, oh, you watch that. I remember watching like. I don't have any examples, but just bands when I was a kid and being blown away just because they were so passionate about what they were doing. Yeah, even if it's not like a belief in the band, like just a belief in the music even. Like you see bands that actually love music because they like to write music as opposed to being in a band. It's pretty rare to find nowadays, I think. Yeah, and I, I think that's also something that you can, well, I think I and I think we can pick out pretty pretty quick. Like, you <laughs> know, you look you look at a band and you're like, those dudes love what they do and those dudes put everything they have into it and you look at this band and you're like, yeah, those dudes really, really like being in a band, you know? Are and they like being in a know? popular band? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. So when you write songs to be popular. That's the weirdest part. Like, when we, like, when when I started wanting to, to like, play music is because I listened to, like, the first Get Up Kids record and, like, a Jimmy Eat World record and, like, uh, this band called Cool Hand Luke, and like I remember feeling all these weird things listening to each individual record, different things, and like we all started playing music to like make someone else feel the way we felt when we listened to those bands, and like we would like s go after this feeling and learning how to like push people and like make people's minds think and hearts feel, and like people come up to us and they talk to us about our band, and it's like how do I get on a tour bus? Like, how did you get that big record deal? Or how did you... That's 90% of the how questions. How did you get not, your Gibson yeah. endorsement? And it's like, dude, like, 
you're starting a band for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Like, we never knew this was even possible. And, like, granted, now, like, it is a very necessary part of what we do. But, like, when we were, I mean, never did a 16-year-old kid ever even know what a record deal was. Like, when in we our care. Scene, like, for that matter. We didn't care. It's so weird that, like, yeah. Like, being able to create something that makes someone feel something. You know, like, the way you feel when you put in your your favorite all-time record. Like you can just be sitting alone. Like, that feeling that you get, like, wanting to recreate that and, and make that feeling for someone else. It's such a thing of the past, you know? You put, yeah, on, it's a, just you put on a song to heal yourself of something or to, or to make yourself feel an emotion. And people don't do that anymore. It's weird. Like, you, people listen to music nowadays because that's the hit. That's the single. Let's listen to that song. And then, of course, download culture and, you know, single track sales on iTunes for 99 cents. You're right. It further diminishes that whole thing of kind of the whole culture of an album of like, like yeah, it's not songs. that's not how it was when we first started getting into music. Yeah, it's even really weird because like when we're talking about like when we when we got started, I mean like I, I guess it was a long time ago. Like it was pushing ten years ago, but it 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 wasn't really that long ago. So it's it's weird for how for quick me. it's changed. Yeah, it's weird for yeah. me to be sitting here. I'm only I'm only twenty four years old, and I'm like. Man, like when I got started, blah blah blah, and it's like I'm I'm talking like I'm like fifty. <laughs> you're or like grandpa. Yeah, yeah. you're yeah. damn kids. And when it, I was your age, yeah. And it's just really get weird. off my lawn. Yeah, it's just really weird because like I, I, I almost feel like some people like when, when, I talk about things like this, they they almost look at me like, dude, you're not like old, and I'm like, no, but like it was. Compl- yeah, but yeah, you, compl- you ever you remember even when you were a kid though, and like yeah. you had like a guitar or whatever, and you were. You're still listening to songs that made you feel a certain way, and there were reasons you listened to those songs, not because it was the top single. You're going or to shows and getting getting yeah. goosebumps and being like, yeah, getting those wow. goosebumps and getting that that just like wild feeling that like a a record can create and just, I mean, that was when we were. I mean, that stuff happened when you were like seven or eight years old or even younger, or whatever. But having said all that, how was this year's Warp Tour for you guys? Freaking amazing, best ever. So yeah. it was amazing. Oh, yeah, best because one because it us. seems like all of the stuff that we're kind of decrying now, where it seems like this thing, this culture is somewhat diminished because it's all, oh, that's so two weeks ago. That's this. This is now. What's that? And all of the you know the disgust of people come up to you and like saying, yeah, I don't care about your music. How you know how can I how can I get money? How can I get tour support? Do you know what it, I mean? It seems I, like a warp tour would be a great. Horrible buffet of all of these. It is. I, it, it is. It is. Where people would just but, like, Dude. but it was the best warp tour for us so far. Yeah, the thing. So. The thing with warp tour is it is it is I think a, a breeding ground for all that stuff. Like like I'll be honest. Like the majority of the bands on the tour, like I don't like at all. And like, but the thing is with warp tour is like, at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of kids that come to have a good time, and the shows are always a lot of fun. There's a lot of really good dudes on the tour, and. Every day is just is just awesome. Like I mean, you know, there, there's you know there was maybe like three bands on the tour or so that I that I really like, but that doesn't really matter to me. At the end of the day, I still had an awesome time, and we still you know continue to play <laughs> pretty much every year. <laughs> so you thought those? I mean, considering that last year you last year you had to pull out of the tour for uh, all sorts of great controversies, and I'm sure <laughs> the punk policeman. Which are out there amongst us everywhere, like see, see, told you that because there's always somebody that's always ready to tell you where you're making a stake and you're not being, you know, you're not being cool enough, punk enough, hardcore enough, or I don't know, Christian enough. Do you know? What I mean, do you still is that? Uh, do you still get the idea that you're under the microscope and 
You still get a lot of that punk police stuff. We kind of put ourselves under the microscope. Like, it'd be as easy as going, like, yeah, we're not a Christian band. Like, we're all, like, Christians kind of at home, and that's it. So don't ask us about it anymore. But, like, when people go, people give us that out. Like, they're like, so you you guys want to just be like, you guys aren't, like, a real Christian band. You're just this. And, like, no. Like, (laughs) Like a real Christian band as opposed to a milk chocolate Christian band. Yeah, I don't know. Like, a Nagahide Christian band. And, I mean, yeah, (laughs) I mean, I think, like, when you you stand for something, it'd be the same. I mean, I think that's expected. Like, if we say, yeah, we're all Christians, and then some dude sees, like, one of us walking out of a strip club, and he's going to hit the message boards instantly. And, granted, that's never happened, but, like, I mean, if you, if there's a straight edge band that's like, yeah, it's not we're straight edge, but we are a straight edge band, and our stand, our band exists to talk about and like hopefully inspire people to like straighten up their lives and like kick all these habits. And then you see the singer like getting wasted, you're gonna be like, screw that, or like the drummers like out here, the guitar players doing this. So I think like, and Christianity is such a widespread. So many people have so many different like ideas of what the rules are that like we can't help like by being here we're not christian because you're not a christian magazine to someone yeah, out there sure. so it's like we there we're constantly under not just a microscope but five million different different threaded yeah. and different focused microscopes and we hit someone's like non-christian radar every step that we take so that's like something we've kind of come to, to grips with and like are okay with at this point because it's like you can either denounce everything that you believe in to take the easy road out, or you can just say, this is what I believe in, and there's a bunch of people that say they believe the same as me, but they don't, and that's okay with us. Makes sense. And that also leads into my next question, which is about all, all of the craziness about last year's Warp Tour with the band leaving and obviously um, Spencer being put under the microscope harder than everybody else, and uh, the, uh, the I guess the whole... Uh, the whole, um, what's the word I want to use here? Philosophical, the public philosophical debates with Fat Mike and all that stuff. And um, how did that, you know, coming back to Warp Tour, you know, the next year, has is, is all that stuff kind of died down or is it still, you, were, were you still dealing with that? Was it still, you know, people getting in your face about things? No. I, really. I think the, the misunderstanding was it had nothing to do with Warp Tour. Like, a lot of I'm media, just using I'm just using Warp Tour because oh, oh yeah the I, community everybody knows each other and there, there's yeah, a yeah. sense of community there and everybody you know well, I kind of knows what everybody's up to not in a malicious everyone thought nosy it was way but Fat Mike Fat Mike in 06 picked us too as he always follows suit in his career but he, he did it with every band on the tour you know like yeah but I think he picked us to focus on like he always does he always picks something you know like. In 04, it was it was it was it was the Bush campaign. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so he always picks his thing of the year. You know, when he's on the Warp Tour. So I think that year he he really focused on us, and people thought that we we crumbled under his amazing <laughs> punk pressure. His, his, his <laughs> huge you know I mean? punk power. Like his Sweet he he new improved app amazing punk pressure. <laughs> he 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 crushed us with his true punk diehardism, and like none of us. Sorry. I like that. None of us gave a crap about <laughs> what he said. Like, he's funny. He's Mike, Fat Mike, whatever. But we went home because we were going to implode. That's true. And so what the, essentially, the, what was that implosion about? I mean, I mean, was it more than just, I know, Spencer, you were going through some personal, you know, crises. And, but, I mean, obviously, like I said, back to that six-way marriage, were there certain other aspects? I mean, there's with, with the things, dynamic that, of the band? things that have been going on for years with different people, you know, like... Everything from like friendships or stuff at home or whatever your problems were. I mean, it was just kind of all around the table, and it just it we've been on to, tour for two years straight too. It had to, you know, there yeah. was there's something that had to break it, and it just broke, and then 
we had to fix it, so we went home to fix it. It's kind of and everything is and, and every and since then, obviously, and now you're finally you're finally just now getting around to doing the full on tour in support of the record. All of that stuff is kind of everybody's recharged and everybody's rejuvenated, and the all of those aspects where the band uh, seemingly was in question of those things have. Either maybe they've either healed entirely, or maybe they are in a way that you can still work and exist and yeah, and be functional. I think it's like a lot of stuff's healed, and then like a lot of stuff like is just you respectfully like have your opinion, and someone else has their opinion. Like I think like I think we also learned how to help each other. Yeah. Something that we we didn't do very well before was like, all right, you you believe in this, and I believe in that even though we both might be wrong and one might be wrong and one might not be, but we didn't know how to be like, like, I'll, I'll help that? you do, you know, I'm, I'll help you go through this. I'm not going to be like, dude, screw him because he's doing that and I'm not or vice versa, you know what I'm saying? Like, now it's more like if Tim came to me with like an issue, I wouldn't be like, screw you. I, that would never happen to me, you know? And now it's more like, like a loving situation to where people are taking care of each other. I think harsh reality of the fact that we had all grown up kind of hit, too. Because we all acted, ate, did the same stuff. Like, when we were touring in a van. Like, we all were the same. We did the same things. And I think things expanded, and we all began to get married and, and buy homes and, and move away from each other. We all grew up in different ways, you know. And we looked around one day, and everyone was completely different. And we're like, no, 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 you know, you can't be different. You can't ha make those mistakes because I don't make those mistakes. I think that there's a lot of that going on, too, at that time. You know, we all had to step back and say, oh, look, we're all individuals here. You know, we can help each other with our strengths and weaknesses. You know what I'm saying? Do you have, uh, obviously, you, you guys talk to a lot of bands and you're obviously, you know, friends with some people. Do you find other bands that, I'm not asking to name names, but a lot of bands are in similar situations about the fact that, this is kind of a this is kind of, this is kind of a life choice where you grow up in public, and people just think they're buying a record or seeing a show or something like that, and they have their own expectations. But because this is your life, they have problems coping with those aspects of it. I think everyone Absolutely. does. Do you think yeah, it's do you think sure. it's do you yeah. think it's more do you think it's more commonplace for people who've been at it for a while? Because, like I said, you grow up, you're 18 years old, and then all of a sudden, you know, you you get to 24. Which seemingly doesn't sound a lot on paper, but actually living it seems like an eternity. Yeah, I mean, I think like it's weird because like the like we would have like eighteen years old, like we would tour around in a van and not make anything, and we did it like for the music because we did. Um, and un like, unfortunately, like none of us can do that anymore. Like, dudes are responsible for feeding a wife or like making sure that someone has a car to drive and that all like there's all these things that now incorporate it and so like now not only is our music just our music like what it once was it's our job and if we if we can't make money playing music then we can't play music the way we sure. do and so it's like it's a weird thing because you kind of have a pie and at one point it was like just give me a piece of bread and some water every day and the rest is music and now it's like I you have a bills and you're an adult and you know when you're 17 and you break your arm on tour you're under your mom's insurance you're not <laughs> yeah, anymore exactly, yeah. you know and no one has thirty thousand dollars to get some great surgery so it's like we have to take care of all these things we, we our band has insurance like 
we have an insurance policy in case someone gets hurt. Like, are you under oath incorporated or under oath LLC or yeah, something like yeah, that? Yeah, but I mean, it's sure. just weird. Like, it's just all these new things. And so I think, like, it's you constantly have to reevaluate and go, like, all right, even though our pie stretched so thin, like, music and like our old, our old passions still need to be the bigger half. And like, everything else needs to sacrifice. And if like our musical, or like business ethics cost us a little bit of money, like we have to make that choice. And like sometimes we haven't made that choice. And like it's a whole thing of like being 25 and in a rock band with a wife and a mortgage is not being 17 and being in a hardcore band at your local town and then going home and like your mom feeding you and paying for your gas and paying for your guitar or whatever you did back then. And, I think, and a lot of people who come to gigs probably don't understand that. They, no, they don't, they, uh, don't. Uh, they don't at all. And it's just a really hard thing because like, we want people to understand, like, we've changed as much as we've had to change, but we try to not change as much as everyone else changes. You know, it's like, it's a weird <laughs> thing, but, but to, to look a kid in the face and be like, dude, like, screw you. I'm the same kid I was when I was 17. Like, that's not true. And I think kids want you to be that to some extent. You know, I think, like, you know, if you sell your shirt for 15 instead of 12 bucks, you're not punk rock. You know, like, everyone just has their ethics, and they don't really, they, they speak out of ignorance. And, like, we've spoken out of ignorance into each other's lives and into our band and, like, to other bands. And, like, it's just weird because you never really see what happens. And it's that just, like, karma, it's, a, yeah, it's crazy. And karma I think, boomerang is aiming at your head. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's just, like, you're really, like he said, like, it wasn't about, it's not even about warp Tour, it's just about being older and just, like, having so much more to juggle. Like, we're all probably more stressed than we ever have been playing music. Like, 17, no stress in the world. 24, a lot. Having said that, do you kind of, do you guys get nostalgic? Do you yearn for that stuff? Do you wish you were that guy, those we guys? Had we had a conversation the other day before we left the tour about how, how awesome it was. Like, you know, not that life now isn't incredible and owning a home and stuff isn't incredible, but how... You know, you're 19, sleeping on a floor, and it, it was awesome. Like, it was traveling around in a van, getting $5 a day to eat on. It was incredible. I think about it all the time. Because there was, it, you know, stuff, you didn't get hurt, and, like, you didn't have to pay for anything, and you didn't ha own anything. So you were just a vagabond, a gypsy. Yeah. You know? You didn't break a guitar and buy a new one. You broke a guitar and fixed it. Or, like... <laughs> borrowed borrowed somebody else's. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I just smashed my guitar. Um, can I borrow yours? Yeah. What's what's the guy say after? Uh, no, dude, come on. Yeah, Spencer, what's your favorite song off the new record? Our new record, it, it, it depends, man. It's kind of like a. I just want to know what your favorite song is on the new record. The whole thing I, is I, the I, best to him. I, no, no, I just can't. It depends on what mood I'm in, kind of. What mood are you in right now? <clears throat> I'd say my favorite one to play is "Casting Such a Thin Shadow," which is track seven. Track seven. I thought it was track. I was good choice. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. All right. That's probably the best track on the CD, I would think.
We're hanging out here with uh, the gentleman under oath. I'm Jason Pettigrew. Drop the Chevy to the um, levy. And but the levy was dry. But the levy was bright. Bry. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, guys, you're bothering my dog. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to ask you this. As, as fans of music, what do you guys expect from your favorite bands, or any band for that matter, in 2007? Ooh. Good music. Um, well, yeah. it's weird. Dudes are getting I, cynical. What record? Well, I mean, that's like we talked about out? that. That type. Yeah. Of, it's that type of cynicism. I know, and I'm being really diplomatic here, where it's getting to the point where I'm really kind of like bummed out that sometimes I have to open my mail. Yeah. You know, there used to be an editor there that said, "Just open my mail and put that pile there and put that pile there." And I want to really want to like, I want to discover something that's cool, but. A lot of times now I'm thinking, okay, this person likes these three bands in this time frame. Their record collection has this in it. They have this gear. They're uh, going to be signing with this soft drink company for some ads. I just kind of, you don't want to be cynical and you want to be excited by music. So I'm asking you guys what things make you just like smile and bang. Radiohead. Like, Radiohead. Did you get the download? I got the whole box set. You already ordered it? Oh, is, yeah. Is it out? No, I don't get it till December, but oh, okay. I, I was one of the 300,000 pre-orders of the two vinyls, two discs, and the download. And the sweet, and the sweet book that comes with it. Yep. Stoked. Yeah. Um, the record is so good. I think Cigaros is, even though constantly semi the same, like their videos and things they do visually and musically are constantly like at the forefront of like what's going on. Yeah, their new DVDs. They're, they have out. a trailer for a new DVD that is literally like mind blowing. Like everything that we think of, like one day we'll be like, man, that'd be awesome if we could. And then it's like, oh, there it is. Like they've been working on it for the past year. Like they're like literally a few years ahead of everyone. Yeah, I was uh, super <laughs> excited about the new Jimmy Eat World, and I'm not. I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. I think it's a grower. I'm I'm hoping so because I'm shower. yeah I'm I'm hoping Hey-o. it is because I like they're they're honestly like one of my top three favorite bands of all time and I bought the record the other day and um, first couple listens haven't really done it for me I'll be honest so but clarity is great I think every record they've done is is Dude, amazing characters only go in one direction no rewind switches on calendars just you know Dang. keep going yeah keep going, I just hit pause no. pause from ninety seven stop, stop it stop I really it. like get that. your finger off stop it I like Easy Tiger. That came out this year, Ryan Adams. I love Ryan Adams. Oh, new band? Don't know. Probably no one here will back me up. They probably haven't heard it yet. Okay. Equal Vision, Deer and Headlights. Deer, Deer and, and Headlights. Headlights. So good. So good. And the new S.C.D.'s Burn record will blow most people who have a brain's mind. And if it doesn't blow your mind, you just don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> there is an endorsement. Yeah, the thing is, is like... I think that we're all kind of in the same spot, you know, like you said, where you want to be excited about something and you want to, you know, have this band that you want to tell everybody about. But I think the fact of the matter is, it's just like the there's not the, any the, new ones. Yeah, the scene right <coughs> now is 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 so jam packed with the same stuff that is not good. Then you you you, you kind of stop looking. I I think I have anyway. Like I'll 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 just go back to the same records that I've liked in the past and just like. You know, keep listening to those because you kind of get to a point where I, I totally don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be cynical and be like, yeah, everything sucks, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But Testify. Yeah, I know. Like, I totally <laughs> don't want to be that guy, but I find myself just being like, whenever anyone comes up, it's like, hey, here's this new band. You should check them out. I, I'm just like, dude, I, I don't even want to. But, like, I know that the moment I stop doing that is the moment that I, I stop finding 
new awesome stuff. It's just a lot harder to find now, I think. New heavy record that stuck me out was uh, Between the Buried and Me's new record. It's really yeah, good. Okay. They're really good. They're not a new band by any means. I mean, they've been around. Yeah, but their new record is. But their new record is great. Would you consider yourself snobs <coughs> or just burnt or, I mean, in that aspect, as fans? I mean, a little bit of both. Jaded yeah. Not non retards. I think maybe? I think as just a fan of music, it it, it it's kind of a bum out to see where things are at right now, and like not, not not so much like the industry, like nobody's buying records. It's like you know, but I think, I stuff think you changes, talk to certain you know? kids, and they'll be stoked. You talk to a fifteen-year-old kid right now about the state of music, he's like, "Oh, it's great. There's all this stuff going on that I love." You know, I think it's just you. But grow it's up just and not you, though. But it's, it's not, not to you or me. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I think it's bizarre because I think every generation has that. I think you think ours is the worst so far. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually read an interesting article. Um, I don't remember what magazine it was in, but it was talking about like every um, every decade like has the band or the artist that like define that decade like like you know like the the eighties like was you know I think they're saying it was like Michael Jackson or something and then, and then the early nineties like U two like define that that decade and that whole era and then but they're saying from two thousand on there hasn't been he went there exactly <laughs> like there hasn't been anything like they're saying the closest thing. The closest thing to that has been Coldplay, and like even they were saying like Coldplay. we don't even yeah. But if you think about it, from two thousand on, like there hasn't been anything that that has been at that stature and like that. Dude, epicness. Fifty Cent. Yeah, see, it's like it's kind of weird to think about Coldplay, ladies and gentlemen. Almost within the past ten years, there hasn't been any big. Dude, Kanye, just ask him, bro. He'll tell you. He's, he's it. <laughs> it's weird. Like, all the bands that we listen to are, like, new bands of old bands that we like that new members start. <laughs> like, you know? It's just weird. Like, Mars Volta is just, like, at the drive and like, you know? Sure. And it's just, like, it's just all the new music that's actually worth listening to is made by people who got into music back before... 2000 something happened y2k really <laughs> did Y2K. end the world but just in an indirect way and it's in music hit reset hit reset, hit reset. what's the stupidest interview question you've ever had to deal with outside of the ones you've been put up with for the past hour oh boy. why did you only tour with mailing for 12 days was it because you, that's as long as you could stand to be around dallas and it's <laughs> what? <laughs> well you see what what's the Dallas, who used to be the lead singer yeah. in Under Oath. And then we oh, take them out on this tour, and kids still say, like, I heard you guys don't talk to him. And then if, like, he <laughs> sang a song with us, like, he only sang one song because they couldn't day. play two because they hate him so bad. It's like, see, you do one song, they want two. It. You want to, I mean, it's. Yeah. Give him an inch, they'll take a mile. I'll uh, tell you what, kids today and their sense of entitlement. I bet you've said that phrase um, a couple times, and you're, you're way younger than I am. I, we have. Never. That's the one thing that we talk about. Never in our history of me being fans of music. Did we see like a guy from like Hot Water Music or the Get Up Kids sitting out back of the club smoking a cigarette or drinking a, a beer or whatever they do and like just trying to like hang and run up to them and go, give me your belt and like <laughs> and then just hand them a camera and be like, what, what do you want? Picture now. Like that's how kids act. And it's crazy. And it's like it's just like they'll just walk up to you and go here. And you're just like, what? I have one, thanks. Yeah, yeah. So, like, sometimes it's literally like, I know what they want, but I'll just be like, what do you want? Because they, they literally don't even, like, go, like they don't can you ask. please take this? They're just like, here, picture, sign. <laughs> At least and they didn't like, text it to you. Yeah, and it's just I like. I can't speak. 
And it's crazy, man. <laughs> like, why is what are we doing as band members to make ourselves up here to like a fourteen year old kid feels like he has to like track us down and like get pneumonia out in the cold for two hours while one of us comes out. It's just like it just doesn't make sense. You owe them. Oh, I agree. I mean, that's why we hang out with them. But I think sure. at the same time, like. I I wish I could have an hour conversation with everyone and be like like put your pen down and like let's talk about something you know sure completely and we can't really do that but like once again another change in music and music listeners that might not be conducive to the new situation it's so I, different I, I just don't think any of us were like that growing up like I'm sure there's like not at all I mean I ran into like Trent Reznor at a festival one time and I was kind of like I didn't run up and like you know oh sign this or, or you know or Chino from the Deftones, which were both bands I loved growing up, but I just kind of was just like, whoa, that's cool. You know, like, when we grew up, we were never, like, the kids banging on the bus doors. and oh, yeah. You know, like... Come out, come out. Yeah. The parents even get involved these days. Mothers are like... Oh, I have mothers... You better yeah. do this! Like, mothers <laughs> yelling at you. <laughs> I was... A crowd of bobby pins flying in the back. The first week of this tour, we were in Dallas, and there was a line of, like, 200 kids out She was there last time, Dude, by the she way. she was horrendous. Do you remember her? Yeah. Who is who This is, mother, anyway. This mother. She. It's a mother. And she walked up to me and Tim. Me and Tim were ordering hamburgers early that morning um, at, like, this restaurant hooked to the... Uh, oh, yeah. And she goes, she goes I, she's talking to me, and she goes, I paid $189 to get your picture with my daughter in her yearbook. And I'm like... <laughs> and when someone says something like that to you, you feel guilty that she had to, you know, she paid that much money to have a photo installed in her daughter's yearbook, which makes you feel like an ass to begin with. And then I go outside that later that night, and I had a, two suitcases and a backpack, and I was like, I'll be right back. I'm going to go throw this stuff in the bus. And she goes, don't you do this to me, buddy. Don't you do this. She goes, and she started cussing at me and <laughs> screaming. She's like, we've been waiting out here for 45 minutes. Don't you do this to me, buddy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I, I, and I told her, I said, lady, I'm going to put this right down. And she goes, you drop it right in the middle of that floor. And get over here and sign this little girl's paper. And I'm like, wow. And I never. And, and, Take a picture of my daughter. And she was angry. And all the other kids were like, like oh, all, the, all the daughter's <laughs> friends were like, Aaron, we're really sorry. Like, she does that to everyone. And it's wow. just weird to think that people Sorry, are like that. Crazy. I never remembered, like, I didn't, when I grew up, my mom didn't take me to shows and yell at the <laughs> dude in the band. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's so weird. I was walking through your halls today, and I, looking at all the magazines you guys have done over all the years you've been, uh, you know, a, a magazine, and, and looking at all the bands on there, and I look at those images, and I'm like, that's iconic. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a magazine of, of uh, Kurt Cobain sitting on a bed playing a guitar, and it's, like yeah. an, it's an iconic image. And you look at all those images, and they're iconic, and I'm afraid that, like... No, once you get to, like, 2000. Yeah, yeah just once you... After 2000. They're just, like, the, the cool, crappy I'm thing so scared now. <laughs> I'm so scared, Dude, though. Sugar Ray was on the cover in 95. How do you think I feel? <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so scared now. Like, my our predecessors, like, are going to come walk through the walls, and are they going to see those images as iconic nope. of our time? You know, or is it just going to be all moms yelling... Don't do this to me, buddy, out in the parking lot. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's so bizarre. I don't know. Well, we try to keep the angry moms out in the parking lot at yeah, Alternative Press. Yeah. Like, Why don't you put my daughter's favorite band on the cover? That's exactly what she talks like, you, you big maroon. I tell you what does, through all the all the weird kids and weird things, what brings everyone together, and you can have an awesome conversation, is the moon's over my hammy. That's all I'm saying. Go to Denny's with Nasty. anybody, and you just hang. Coming from the Nasty. Back. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, 
I'm just saying, after a show, you go to you go to Denny's. Denny's it's, the soup comes in blocks, it, and it's the a soup hang comes time. In blocks. And you wake <laughs> up, you wake up, <laughs> microwave it. You wake up. The I have a friend of mine used to work like, there. Uh, it comes in blocks. Oh, is that, really? Like, uh, all you just cut a piece about? of soup off and throw it. In. I'm wow. just saying. Every I think every conversation there's Denny's in it. <laughs> Somebody oh, want to start this slice of soup? Slice my soup and sign this for my daughter. What goes on for Under Oath 2008? Recording, the record. So recording in March. Is this going to be your? Is this is this going to be your cigarette rest record? Is this going to be your version of? Is it going to be Kid B? It's gonna it going to be the best be record ever recorded. Kid probably. B, I Kid like B. that. Are you gonna? I mean, I've been thinking about names for weeks now. Kid B's perfect. <laughs> Kid B, there you go. I mean, because obviously, I mean, listening to you talk, you guys have a, a sphere of things that you like to listen to. Do you feel that Under Oath only allows you to do certain things, and you can't do things? further out or something like that? Do you think if there's not enough charging, you know, demanding strong stuff, or if there's not any pop hooks or whatever it is, do you think that the, your listeners kind of feel that they expect a certain kind no. of thing from you? Or, I mean, well, I, that I, versus well, fan yeah. expectation versus what you guys want to do as, you know, I, as musicians? Or is Aaron just basically keeping all his songs for the almost? Well, I actually had a conversation with here. Tim about this the other day because we were, you know, we were writing... Um, during sound check, and we were just talking about like you know the direction of how it was going to be going, and we were trying to figure it out. And like, I was just thinking, I was like, dude, like, there's nobody telling us what we need to write. Like, I mean, we could pretty much write whatever we want, and like, I think that there is kind of like a thing where it's expected that we're going to do like a certain thing. But at the end of the day, I mean, we could we could write all just like really weird like delay parts and like you know whatever we want and like the record will get put out and somebody's gonna like it you know hopefully and uh yeah like i i i think that i'm i I personally i'm coming to a realization like through you know the time that we've been writing that you know we don't have to do anything really like we can it's our band you know we write the music we can do what we want i don't think that the label's not going to put it out if it's if it sounds a certain way, you know. I think that goes to what we were talking about earlier, too, about having passion in what you're doing. Like, I, I'm so guilty of, like, if something doesn't have this anthemic hook to it, like, it's going to be bad. If it doesn't have, like, this pop sensibility to it, it's going to be bad. And, and we began to write this record um, just a couple months ago, and, like, I feel so much love for this record already, and, I've, and it's challenging me in a way that I've never been challenged musically. And I, I really, like, I really believe that, like, we're going to believe in whatever we do and that's going to make it real to people and people are going to grab it because of that. I really believe that no matter what this band does, like we'll never put a record out we don't believe in. It'll never happen. And I was looking at my, in my own life, uh, you know, a few weeks ago and I was like, man, like I don't have to be that guy. I don't have to have that anthemic thing that's like everybody else's. Like I can make records and be part of records with my band that are exactly what we want to do. You know what I mean? Like, and, and we're going to do exactly what we want to do, and we're going to mean it. And I think someone's going to hear that somewhere, even if it's 15 people in Council Bluffs, Iowa. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to do what we want to do, and we're going to mean it. Because you know there's 15 people are there for the right reason. There you go. It's true. Touche. Gentlemen, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having us. AP Podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, 
Go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Bertenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP. 